welcome to episode 188 of Respawning Fire, the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast from Affable Idiots. I am Holden Depardo, and over there doing karate is... I'm not doing karate, I'm spelling 188. Hi, I'm Chad Michael Innes. <laughs> <laughs> that looked like karate. You could have fooled me. I was doing me. 188. That's what I was doing. <laughs> We've got the dreamiest fan base of all time from all over the world. And you can catch us, obviously, right now on Twitch. Usually, it's Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But if you missed that, you can catch us on YouTube or any podcast service at 9 a.m. Eastern Time every Tuesday every Tuesday morning. Morning, There's as a they say. There's talkaboutreviewscomingup.com. I think that's referencing we'll be doing a Demon Souls review some point coming up i think that's what that means <laughs> i was like what the fuck i think that's what talk? it means um oh that's it's you copied and pasted what we had in there that was from our like oh we're doing an xbox series x review and a ps5 review but yeah i mean yeah we'll have a demon oh. soul coming up eventually and we'll have, we'll have a, a demon souls one <laughs> we'll have a <laughs> what else are we playing godfall one demon souls will probably be coming <laughs> in uh like mid-december and I assume Godfall will be coming probably like the first week back in January. For those See. of you looking like, ooh, we're not getting a spoiler cast reviews of these games. That's what we're probably going to be doing. <laughs> we'll have some friends on. It'll be great. It'll be a party. It's what you asked for, for our barf games. Exactly. One thing we will not be talking about this episode, which is a great way to start an episode. Hi, we're not talking about the subject you're curious about. And that's the Game Award nominees. We're not talking about that this week. Next week, we're going to do like a predictions of what we think is going to happen during the Game Awards. We'll talk about nominees then. And then we might be doing something that <sighs> night on December do, 10th. Do, 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 do. But we got a good show lined up. We're talking about those PlayStation 5 scalpers. Mm, Those lovely, lovely human beings Hate that them. are scalping PS5s. They're not good people. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not, not fun. Not good. Apple's making some changes to its App Store. Uh, I used to fee. Their, their, the percentage of the payment that they take. We're talking about bug snacks. We're talking about all talking sorts about of stuff. Bug snacks. Before, <laughs> talking about bug snacks. Before we get to all that, though, the big question does Demon Souls need to have an easy mode? What? It kind of comes up every single time there's a From Software game. Is Does this From Software game need an easy mode? But so it's also kind of brought up that question about accessibility in games. And one thing I want to say, start off the bat, easy mode and accessibility are two different things. We're talking about both, but we're talking about them separately. Accessibility is focusing on making games fully playable to everyone with specific needs. Whereas easy mode just makes the game easier to play for people who are perfectly able to play games no matter what. So we're talking about this separately, but we're going to start with accessibility. An uh, article here from Liana Rupert at Game Informer. Accessibility doesn't mean, quote, less challenging or, quote, hardcore, says Xbox. Senior Gaming Accessibility Program Manager at Microsoft, Brandon Zahans, um, are well summarized within the headline. Basically, that's exactly what he says, that it doesn't make it less challenging and doesn't make it less hardcore of an experience to make your game accessible. Essentially, he argues that if accessibility is considered from the beginning of a project then it doesn't have to take away from the overall quality of the game or the design philosophies of the game itself. Chad, you have a note in here, too, that I think you should reference. I do. It's your note. Uh, one of the things I wanted to clarify that, I mean, you've, you've brought it up already. Accessibility and easy are separate, but the reason why we're talking about them both right now is because people often say their argument is like, oh, man, no, this does need an easy mode. Think about people with accessibility needs. 
Um, but they, they don't mean the same thing, but they should still be considered. Um, of course, yeah. What I, what I, part of what this person, Zahand, Brandon Zahand, talked about in this article is uh, the need to develop for t all types of different types of accessibility needs, whether they are things like permanent disabilities that people might have or even temporary ones. In fact, they wrote about um, how they actually I don't remember whether it was Brandon or the author Liana who had this affliction where they said I hadn't considered about ep epilepsy in video games until I myself mm. got injured and now had that as an issue myself and then suddenly it's like oh my gosh why hadn't I been thinking about this before it was my due to my own ignorance um mm -hmm. and so I have a, a chart that I just put in the notes for us to kind of reference that is it, it's widely used when talking about accessibility and developing for accessibility um, most of the time in software development, like with UI um, and web development, that kind of stuff. But I think it also applies to thinking about how we're developing it in games. And one of the things that Brandon said is that if it's if it's early enough, if you consider these types of things early enough in the development cycle, then it's going to be a lot easier and a lot less expensive to make it a part of your workflow. But there are three kind of different categories for each type of disability that um, are kind of floated around. There's a permanent kind. And if we think about just like touch or, or tactile disabilities, a permanent disability in that area might be like, oh, I have an amputated arm or I'm missing a finger or something like that. So I have a permanent disability for touch. Then there are temporary ones. Oh, I just broke my arm. It's healing, but I just don't have use of it right now. And then there's situational. I'm a new parent. I have a baby in my arm, and I would still like to play video games, but I also can't put this baby down, or else it's going to die on its own and roll into a fish tank and drown. Cyberpunk is more important than baby. You got to find a way to balance true. both. Also, don't put your babies down <laughs> above fish tanks. It's just open fish tanks, especially. <laughs> but as we're, what the article I like that it highlighted it will is free that, like, your hand, though. That is still something that it will do. <laughs> still yes. free your hand. But what I liked that the article did is that it called out that we should be having as many different types of accessibility settings in our games as possible. And like subtitles, for example, are things that are not only really great for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, but also for those who have really loud kids. It's great for them too. Um, and I forget the other specific example that they used. But I feel like this is where it's getting into, there's a little bit of a gray area when it comes to accounting for accessibility needs for people who might have like motor disabilities. And when you're playing games that require really fast reaction times, I can't think of the game off the top of my head, but something that came out in the last like year or two where they had an option. Let's use Dark Souls as an, as an example or Demon's Souls Is as an example. Celeste? Because they could like slow down the game in Celeste. Celeste, you could, yeah, you could slow down the game and make it a little bit easier that way, yeah. But there was something that was like you could, if we were taking Sekiro or Dark Souls as an example, maybe mm -hmm. adjust the time window where you could successfully perform a parry. So you didn't need to be as twitch reflexes as as it currently demands. Jedi Fallen Order did this. That's what it was. The different Jedi difficulty modes. Yep. Yeah. Different difficulty modes had a uh, different time window for parrying. Right. So part of that is an e it makes it easier, but it also is accommodating mm. people who just don't have necessarily those twitch reflexes or can't accomplish a button press or using an adaptive controller, whatever type of input that they use. Um, so I think that's that's where it starts to blur the line between accessibility and easy. And there was a developer too that was they they were when they implemented the feature, 
that made it easier, that like opened up those windows and things like that and, and made it easier and they pitched it as an accessibility thing. Maybe it was Uncharted 4. I feel like Uncharted 4 was really accessible. Or, I don't know. I, Naughty Dog's always really good with these things too. But when there was a developer and they defended it as an accessibility choice, their defense was, it's not intended for everyone necessarily to use, but it's there if you need it. And like, mm -hmm. it doesn't harm you if you choose not to play with it. So if you choose to play it regularly without that turned on, like you're totally fine. It doesn't take away from your accomplishment in the game at all. And I feel like that's that's a little bit of that argument between the two sides. I like that developer stance on it. It's like we should be catering to the people who need to who have the accessibility needs. And then if something else is a consequence, we can weigh like is that worth having the consequence? And in this part like it made it easier to play and they were like and for this particular game, it doesn't matter to us. But for games like Dark Souls and Sekiro, which we're going to transition to in here shortly, I, that might be part of the experience and part of the challenge that people enjoy. Yeah. And before we move on from accessibility, I think that one thing that's interesting about accessibility in the video game industry versus what I've seen in accessibility in just more uh, general purpose consumer technology devices is that the platform holders are generally the ones who make the accessibility features available. And then developers can utilize those tools within their apps as provided by the platform holder. Whereas it's like the inverse in the game industry in an odd way, which is that the responsibility seems to be on the individual developer, whether that's the studio or the independent studio itself. Right. And I really feel like we need to be having this discussion around how can Microsoft or Sony or Unreal Engine, Unity, like build tools into their engines or their tools for developers to make it easier to access those things. Because like, if we had one point or like just, just Microsoft hypothetically, because they're kind of the center of this conversation right now, that's kind of how it started, was offer those APIs, then maybe a developer wouldn't have to think and brainstorm about every single accessibility need they might have to add in there to accommodate for most number of people. They can just look at the accessibility APIs that are available to them and say, okay, we need to implement these tools in there. And then if there's game-specific things they want to add on top of that, they'll still be able to. I feel like that would really broaden it out so that it's easier for a developer to consider from the beginning of development, these are the things that we need to be doing. I feel like yeah. that would just that would make the whole situation much smoother. And I feel like we spend a lot of time as a community talking about this when specific games come out. Again, like whenever like a new from software game comes out, like the conversation kind of sparks up. Or like when Celeste comes out and a developer does it really well, like just like Last of Us Part 2 or earlier this year, then we talk about it again. But I feel like we need to really put that pressure on the platform holders and the engine makers to take this more seriously and give those tools to everybody as opposed to expecting a three-person independent team to think of every single possible accessibility need that needs to be implemented in a game. Excuse me. Um, and I think we're on our way. So I think we see Microsoft yeah. is kind of pioneering that and we're, we're starting to see software-wide implementations. Like even with PS5, like it's a simple thing, but like mm -hmm. being able to turn on subtitles by default in every game yeah. as a system level choice is mm -hmm. like that's a step in the right direction and i have a feeling there's much more in development that in that area especially since a lot of the people who do this best are a lot of sony first party studios i assume yeah. that they're working hard and and will have some kind of cross like cross game like across the entire platform solution mm -hmm. pretty soon on the note of sony 
part, um, first party developers doing this really well. Did you see what uh, Miles Morales does, or what I should say, Insomniac does for Miles Morales with um, with um, ASL? You can actually turn on a mode where the characters will animate the sign language no of the dialogue. No way. Which I, I don't expect most developers to do that because that's a lot of animation work and probably takes a lot of time. But I saw like a it was like a quick forty five second clip and I'm like that's really impressive. That I mean, is I know they did much they have more the... natural for someone who uses ASL in their daily life like that. Yeah, I I know there's cool. the ASL character and I know that like Miles is fluent in ASL and and uses it with that character. But I didn't realize that it was like a, an accessibility feature you could turn on for everybody. That's awesome. Maybe it was just that one character, but Miles himself signed back. Does Miles sign right. to that character as well? Right. It's it's actually part of his character okay. in the story. It's like he sign he knows sign language and he's like pushing Genki so that he can communicate with his entire neighborhood. It's totally possible I misinterpreted then the tweet. I kind of want to find that tweet now. That m- maybe. I know because I was we'll listening actually to a spoiler cast with Brian, not Brian Intahar, but the other Brian who is the creative director on the game. And I remember he said that like all the sign language that they did, they made sure that they brought in experts and that if somebody was reading this sign language that it actually said what it was supposed to say, even though the people performing mm-hmm. it were not necessarily fluent in ASL. And I feel like that would be really hard to do creating sign language for, for all the dialogue in all of the game. But hey, man, that's where machine learning can step in in the future and, and make no, that happen. Exactly, yeah. Oh, I can't find it. I it's very possible I just misinterpreted, because I when I first heard I'm like that's really like really awesome it exists, but also be incredibly hard to pull off across an entire game. But I didn't know there was like a character dynamic in the game like that. So yeah. it's very possible I misunderstood it. Let's go with the most positive thing possible. They did it 100 percent. Insomniac, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> I mean, Insomniac is amazing. <laughs> so transitioning from accessibility to easy mode. So. This is from Chris Carter at Destructoid. In easy mode was um, considered for Demon Souls PS5, but scrapped. Gavin Moore, the creative director at Bluepoint, said adding an easy mode to Demon Souls would fundamentally alter its balance, and it was a decision they didn't feel they had the right to make since they were remaking someone else's game. He also adds Demon Souls is actually very fair. Um, we've kind of talked about this before, but the kind of, the conversations kind of come back up again. And we've both played a good amount of Souls games, so we both know the genre pretty well. Do you feel like an easy mode, and again, not talking about accessibility, like specifically like a difficulty settings needs to be added to, to Souls games in general? Um, I don't think so. I, I know we've talked about this before, of course, uh, when Sekiro mm-hmm. came out. It was a big topic of conversation for us on the show. But I also think that... I don't think it's as cut and dry as your elevator thing on Twitch was like, oh, the top, how do you want to get to the mm-hmm. top of Mount Everest? Do you want to take an elevator or do you want to actually get like the journey to the top being your reward? Um, mm-hmm. I think there is something that you said, like, yeah, the view's going to be spectacular no matter how you get there. It doesn't matter. But also, I feel like the experience specifically of Dark Souls and those types of games is like the challenge, the tension, the risk reward. Like knowing mm-hmm. that, like if I don't get this perfect, like that level of difficulty, that's gone when you give it an easy mode. Yeah, you get to see cool characters and cast cool spells and chop things with your sword if it's easy mode, but you don't get the the intended reward of the game necessarily. Yeah. Um, I do think that there is an easy mode, 
And if you want to experience all of that, it's watching Twitch streams. And <laughs> you can hold a controller in your hand if it makes you feel um, like you're you are actually contributing. You could do little brother holding the controller while your brother <laughs> right, older brother plays mode. <laughs> um, but I also think that I respect Bluepoint's decision not to make it because obviously it's not their game. But mm-hmm. um, I think they are a unique game. I don't think they are the only game that shouldn't get an easy mode. But I think that their game specifically. Uh, the the difficulty is the game so much that I don't think an easy mode is is still within the developer's vision. But there are other games that like that don't have easy modes that I think should that I, that like the difficulty is not part of the game is just an obstacle in for us yeah. enjoying the game. Yeah, and to kind of like elaborate on what I, what I kind of intended with the the Everest comment was when when you meet someone who is not not that i'm saying from my own personal experience but you are someone who has climbed everest and you meet someone who has also been has climbed everest as well you can talk about the vista on the top it's a great reward that you achieved getting to the top of everest to see that unlike a lot of people who won't be able to climb up everest cuz it's just one of the most grueling journeys in all of mountain climbing period Right. You'll but be able you to talk about, oh, experience. did you see that dead body on this part? Yes, I did. Oh, did <laughs> just you also throw your that, bag yeah. of excrement? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> exactly. Like, you can talk about, you know, uh, how you went up and you know, did you go to this base camp and down again and back up? Or did you try to power through and go higher? Or what was it like when you were sleeping in a tent <laughs> when it was hanging on the side of a mountain? It was so windy you didn't feel like you could get out. Like, those kind of experiences that you can only really relate to because that's the experience of climbing up Everest. And I feel like Dark Souls is kind of the same thing where it's like, okay, you went, you did, you just fought flame lurker. How did you do it? Cause I struggle. Like for me, I struggled to fight him the first time Then I changed my armor set. So it's more agile. And then I was able to attack him that way. And you know, you might've used spells and had a different combination. You'd actually just before us talking, talked about the, the water veil that you put on, or you're going to at least when you get yeah. there. And I feel like that's the experience of Souls, is that figuring out how to do it. And when it comes so I kind of feel like what's happened with the Souls game in particular is, it is a large niche of people who really appreciate that difficult kind of game. And that has created an allure to Dark Souls as something that's intriguing because it's fun it's it's challenging to overcome there's that sense of reward and i feel like that allure has gotten people to say well we need to make that more accessible to people by adding an easy mode it's like well if you want to add the easy mode then i don't think you really want to play a souls game right i think that is accessible to people by giving them a controller that makes them like literally able to play the game not just like (laughs) better at the game yeah exactly exactly so I get it that like it's it's tough to get into, but again, that's that's kind of the the purpose of it. And uh, another analogy I kind of thought about when talking about this is like I I really kind of want to try Persona Five because I hear so many good things about it, but then I see the average playtime on HowToBeat.com is about a hundred hours, and I'm like, mm, that's really daunting. I for think me. it literally I like don't know you, that it game counts is- down a hundred hours in the game. And you you have a hundred mm-hmm. hours to complete whatever like you choose what to complete in that hundred hours and whatever you don't have time for you don't have time for, yeah. 
making an abridged version of that game where they give you 25 hours and a shortened story element so it's more you know uh, it's easier to get into i then it's not persona then i'm not playing persona 5 at that point like the experience is a very you know definitive kind of thing i think dark souls is in kind of that same um element i do want to point out that trevor made a a good point which was that there is a souls game that does have easy modes we mentioned earlier and that's jedi fallen order i feel like the reason that's an exception is because it's star wars yeah and Star Wars just literally is for everyone. Yeah, people want to experience a cool Star Wars story, meet new characters. Yeah, that's you don't get that in, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. And in fact, if you play those games seven times on New Game Plus, you still don't get those stories <laughs> and learn about these characters. <laughs> you have to read these awful items and watch hour-long YouTube videos about it in order to understand what the fuck's going on. So that's like, that's the argument yeah. there. It's Star Wars. Everyone should be able to experience Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yeah. So. As much as like, yeah, I think we basically said everything we need to say about that. That's all I it's got a unique to say experience about that. that un- Force Gump. <laughs> it's unique experience is the difficulty. But Chad, we're going to talk about playtime. There are two things that we both played this week in common, one of which was Demon Souls. But as we said, we will talk about that at a review later on in the month of December. But we also We're both playing that on PS5, Bug right? Snacks. Play that on a PlayStation 5. You're not playing it on PS3. Home video game console. You're not playing it on PlayStation Now stream to your computer? <laughs> Definitely not with a game like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we both played Bug Snacks. We did. We both finished it. Did, did uh, you platinum it or did you just beat it? I did not platinum it. And it's one of those games that I don't think I'm going to platinum right away if I do at all. I will. It'll mm-hmm. be one of those things that I do gradually over time. And like, you know what? Maybe I feel like I want to go catch a barbecue bunger right now, and I'll figure out how to <laughs> catch that guy. But we did. Chad, yeah, what are your we thoughts? we beat. We both beat Bug Snacks. We. I didn't feel like it was worth having an entire spoiler cast episode review of Bug Snacks. I felt like what needed to be said about it could be said vaguely enough for non spoilers in a few minutes on a regular episode, which is why we're talking about it right here, right now. Right here, right now. Um, I love this game. I think it is a, a treasure, and I think it is a game that almost no one was going to play, but thank God it went free on PS Plus, and thank God social media is driving people to it, because it is, I think, just like Astro Astro's Playroom, I think everybody should at least try Bug Snacks, And it's one of those games that yeah. you watch the trailers, and you see it, and you're like, Oh, that's kind of a really ridiculous, sometimes stupid-looking game with awful <laughs> graphics, <laughs> and like it doesn't look great. The mechanic's like, "Oh, I get it. Oh, that's silly. That no. thing's called a bunger," and it goes bunger, 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 and that's a depressed ice cream sundae named Scoopy Banoopy. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's you literally immediately learn like the very first video with Lizbert. First of all, the names Triffany and Lizbert and Snorpy. I can't get over it. But you literally, <laughs> learn the, the game is so much more than just catching these dumb food bugs. From the, you're, you're teaching people about the importance of not only working together, but living together and having a support system. And you're bringing, you're repairing relationships between people. You are um, comforting those who are depressed and in need and making friendships. And you are inspiring those who don't have self-confidence. And it's, it is such a game that, I think everyone needs to see it's, it's a perfect game again for 2020 as we're all isolated and we're like trying not to be super depressed. And um, 
but it's such a great game and teaches you a lot of life lessons about people and relationships and togetherness that I immediately, my brother, I gave him and his family my PlayStation 4 Pro. Um, and it's not free on PS4 Pro. So I bought it. I paid 25 bucks for him and my niece and nephew to have it. And we played it for like two hours. And like having it, having it here and playing it with the kids, it's such fun to watch them go like, what is that one? Oh my God, look at that little queeble over there. Uh, that, <laughs> the quickie and all of these stupid things. And they're trying to catch them. But like seeing the gears turn in their head because it's also a surprisingly difficult kind of puzzle game. Figuring out how to yeah, catch some of these is. things. So I think it's great for kids. It's a fun time. And then there's also the other side of the spectrum where it's like my other nephew who was here as well, who's six, just painting everything with ketchup. And that's what he got out of the game. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that there's there are a lot of really I great lessons. All. I didn't do that at all. That's only for six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a really amazing game with a lot of depth and heart to it that can teach people a, a, a lot of really good lessons. Um, mm-hmm. I talked a lot right now about it and didn't let you say anything other than the catch-up thing. What did you do with the whole game, Holden? How did you like it? <laughs> no, there's. I agree with everything that that you're saying. It's it's a game that's hard to market because it's not like like Astrobot. You need to play it to really experience like what it is. Right. But unlike it being about the DualSense controller, which there's some cool DualSense stuff by the way, it's because the it's it's all about the characters and how charming and quirky and ridiculous all these characters are how every character has a very specific personality to the point where you understand their clashes and and how is that possible when they're the weirdest looking creatures ever and they have like odd animations where their mouth just bobs up and down when they talk but the writing is so solid and charming and cheeky and it's it's really really fantastic it's definitely like you said thank god it's on ps plus because i feel like people have seen the trailer for this game and went uh i don't know like miles just came out and demon souls came out Sackboy and astrobot and i I can skip bug snacks i don't need to get bugs it's fucking bug snacks (laughs) like i don't need to play that but you through word of mouth because of playstation plus i think a lot more people are going to play this um yeah, I really, I really, really liked it, and I think the the kind of the puzzle mechanic you mentioned of how to catch these different bug snacks is f- way more involved than I thought it was going to be. Because even the beginning, it's like, oh, um, just have them walk up to the um, the trap, and then you can you know activate the trap and it catches them and you're like oh all right this can be pretty easy but then you're doing things where it's like okay um with this one here you need to roll the ball into the log to scare it out and then once you do that you have to make sure your trap is in the right place to catch it when it's when it's coming out or there's something that's flying and you need to um get your um whatchamacallit, the the spring launcher, and then yep. put the trap on top of the spring launcher so it launches in the air, and then you catch it when it's in the air. Or the scorpions that, that shoot flames out, when you have to have that hit the poppers so that the popper becomes catchable by the trap. There's so many things where it's like, wow, I really like had to stop and think about this. In some cases, I just straight up had to use the PlayStation Plus like guide, Thank like video. God for the PlayStation guide. Like those little videos, I think that's my favorite new feature of the, I mean, obviously the dual sense is amazing, but between this and Astro's Playroom and Miles Morales, those tips, those video tips and that, those Mm -hmm. activity cards are so freaking awesome. I use them a ton in this. And it worked so well in terms of it knowing exactly which, uh, which bug snacks I had to catch. 
and showing me that specific tutorial. There was never a point where it didn't show me exactly what I needed. So it worked really, really well for this. It kept the, the story going because how much how much this game is story-based, sometimes getting stuck on one bug snacks can get frustrating. Mm-hmm. But you can just rely on this as a crutch if you need it. It's fantastic for that. Um, on the note of the story, I want to say I liked the ending a lot. I did like the ending. I do feel like... I expected something way darker based on what a lot of the people were saying online. I remember one reviewer particularly said that he doesn't know if his child should play the game after getting to the end. And I'm like, whoa, what's going to (laughs) happen? I think this is totally fine for kids to play. I don't think there's any reason the kid can't beat this game. I wanted to read what I sent um, Brent about my prediction. I'm not going to tell you what the ending was. This is my prediction to give you an idea of how dark I thought this was going to go. I said, so, to Brent, yeah, I said for, I have for anyone, idea. this is not a spoiler. This is purely before he yeah. beat the game. This is what he thought was going to happen based on uh, yeah. just what he was reading about. So context, there's a point in the game where you're at a, it's a mission called Ghost Story or something like that. And you're at a campfire and every all the uh, people in the town are getting a little spooked about something. Apparently there's some sort of monster they're, be, they're hypothetically talking about. And then you will, you'll kind of at one point hear something in the outhouse growling and just it kind of creates this mystery of what could be coming up and i I sent to brent i have an idea of what's going to happen at the end of bug snacks just finish the ghost story campfire part the monster on the island they're worried about will eat everyone because they are made of bug snacks after eating so many bug snacks gramble won't be eaten because he doesn't eat them so basically he's predicting like a form of cannibalism (laughs) at the end of this game Like something really extreme to happen. Like I thought this would be really, really fucking dark. It is definitely a a turn in the story. Where you're like, oh, interesting. Yeah. I now look at this game in a different light now. Um, but I just want to show like I went into that ending with like really like oh fuck this is gonna be really fucking dark. But I still like the ending a lot. Um, maybe it opens up for a sequel to Bug Snacks. Maybe. 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 I didn't say it. I I didn't I, say it. I agree with you that the ending. There are two things I'll say about the ending. One, I think it's a great twist. I think it it is something that I didn't see coming. And uh, <laughs> I was talking to Matt last night, and Matt said, I saw on Twitter somebody say that they they didn't like the ending because they predicted it was going to happen. And then he's like, what kind of mushrooms were you on if you could have predicted that? <laughs> but um, uh, So I, I like it. I do agree with you that it was a bit overblown, but I think it's kind of necessary because... I, mm-hmm. I personally am also, like, I put out a tweet out there that, <laughs> not to toot my own horn, got, like, 100 likes and, like, 15 <laughs> retweets by people I don't know. Um, I was just, like, <laughs> me after the point of no return and bug snacks, and it's just the the mayor, uh, Philbo, just backing into a bush, like Philbo, the Homer yeah. Simpson gif. Um, <laughs> I think all of that is necessary, building up the hype for the end is necessary because otherwise people wouldn't play the game. If I didn't know that something big that. was coming yeah. at the end, that's a good point. I would have played about an hour or two and be like, I get this and put it down. But mm-hmm. that mystery and like needing to figure out what is everyone talking about and getting to the end, I think is worth overblowing it to make sure people experience it. Yeah, I can feel that. I for sure. Because I'm definitely glad I finished it. Yeah. Um it it has a good ending. I think that's all that will kind of elaborate there. Because we don't want to ruin the ending, but it's a good ending for sure. Uh, shout out that's to what we both played. Uh, yeah, shout out to uh, Steven Dutzman from Engage Family Gaming in the chat, letting us know that we've been on mute for the first thirty minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. We're not, we're off of mute now, so we're good. 
Okay. Um, you can always check us on the podcast services later on. <laughs> That's right. The polished professional version of this comes out Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. <laughs> so Chad and I both played Bug Snacks and Demon Souls, but we also played games on our own separately as well. Chad, what have you played this week? I will briefly touch on Miles Morales and Destiny 2. Miles Morales, I got the Platinum Trophy in. That was number 48. Uh, What a satisfying game. We have the whole spoiler cast that we did last week with six of our lifelong friends. It's a really good time. Maybe, maybe my favorite game of the PS5 launch. I don't know. I haven't played Godfall yet. And I'm... I don't know, Destiny 2 Beyond Light is just so good, too. I don't know, but yeah, no, Miles Morales is, is amazing, it's fantastic, spectacular. What are the other Spider-Man descriptors? Amazing Spider-Man? I don't know, it's wonderful. Go play it. It's also a really great platinum trophy, too. Um, a lot of the best content is after the story is done. We're collecting a lot of things and getting the backstory in it, so definitely go play it. Destiny 2 Beyond Light. Holden, I'm going to lose my life to that game. We are... Uh, it, it is so good. They've added this new subclass with the stasis powers. And throughout the campaign of it, of Beyond Light, you only like briefly get glimpses of being able to use it. And usually only at like big boss battles. And then you finally get to harness the power of it. And then you're just like, well, now that I have it, you know, maybe it's not as great as this. But now we're starting to unlock like augments for it. Like, oh, my grenade can be completely different. Or my melee can be different. And I'm looking up builds of how it just like becomes a super powerhouse of every 10 seconds. I get my super. And it's just, I... I am so in love with that game and its gameplay loop, and we're having so much fun. The raid just dropped as well. Deep Stone Crypt, I think it's called. Um, Joel already beat it. Connor already beat it. Connor is apparently running people. Those are two people from our our friends, Pixel Street Podcast. Go listen to them. They're great. Joel's running people apparently way under leveled through the crit the, through the uh, the raid itself too in like two hours. So I'm excited to attempt it with our fire team. It's gonna be great. I also played... You guys will have fun with that. We will. We're going to have so much fun. I also played Tetris. <laughs> I'm just going to use this as a, an opportunity to say... I know I showed a few weeks ago that my mom found my Game Boy. But I uh, I decided I'm going to start like collecting some of the old systems that I used to have as a kid. That I either sold or got rid of or whatever. My mom found this one. It didn't have a battery pack. So I'm like, okay. I got the back of it for the battery. I took the old scratched up screen. Replaced it with a new glass screen. Uh, got a sticker for the back of it. Like I'm trying to restore these things, and then eventually just display them places. That's um, really cool. I played it's Tetris like on an old car. Kind yeah, of kinda. Um, I played Tetris on it a little bit just to remember that. Yeah, I do still hate Tetris. Uh, <laughs> but I had to play something on the game, and this is on the Game Boy. And it's the only game I had. So I'm gonna be looking. I think that's what I'm gonna basically just ask for for Christmas now is some retro games because I think I'm going to get a GBA now. I already have a PSP Go that's getting delivered today. (laughs) I I tried to restore my Sega Game Gear. It powers on, but the screen is just completely fucked. It's it's just nothing blue and dots and pixels everywhere. Probably because there was a lot of battery acid that leaked out of those batteries and just like eroded the corner (laughs) of it and eroded the bag it was in. But then also I took it apart. I I opened it up, like took out the motherboard and and tried to clean everything. (laughs) And I didn't. You can't tell from looking on the outside. Some of the buttons were a little sticky, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of weird." Couldn't tell from the outside, but on the inside, covered in chocolate. 
<laughs> I was a, a big old kid when I was little, and apparently I used to just get chocolate on everything. But yeah, the the <laughs> the inside of the start button was just completely brown, covered in chocolate. And I don't know if you've ever opened up um, uh, a gaming controller or something like that, but the buttons usually have like little plungers underneath of them to make them bouncy and springy and, and responsive. And those plungers are not supposed to be stuck to the motherboard. But I took it off, and all of them were. And I was like, that's weird. I didn't realize on the Game Gear that they like glued those on. That's interesting. And then as I started cleaning the chocolate off of some of the like shell, I was like, is that glue? And I pulled a little tougher, and one of them <laughs> popped off, and it was just completely brown underneath too. I was like, oh, my God. So gross. <laughs> um, so needless to say, my Game Gear does not work still. So it's d- mostly just going to be a display unit. But Matt said he bought a Game Gear a long time at a garage sale for parts, and he's never done anything with it. So he might send me that to see if I can use some of the parts from it. That's a little bit of a, a, a little project I'm working on. But then I also played The Pathless. Do you remember this game? The Pathless it just came out actually with the launch yeah, of the new systems. It's the same lead creator as Journey, right? Right. So it's from Giant Different Squid. Studio. The studio Giant Squid, yeah, which is made up of X Journey, uh, that game company people. They did Abzu before, and this is The Pathless. So it's uh, it's also published by Annapurna Games. So I was like, oh man, that's gonna be great. And it's like forty bucks on PS5, but it was free on Apple Arcade, and. I subscribed to the Apple One subscription, which just happened to have Apple Arcade in it. I was like, oh, well, let me let me give this a shot. And I remember reading the story a few weeks ago that they actually developed it first, and they planned the game for iOS, and then they ported it to the other systems. So they developed it with touchscreen in mind, and I was really impressed. Like, the, the touchscreen controls felt super intuitive and fluid, and especially movement in that game. Like, you you're gliding across, like, the field and the grass... And there are just little diamonds in the air all over the map. And as you shoot your bow at them, they give you a speed boost. And so if you're in the air and you shoot your bow at it, then it continues dashing in the air. So it's a way to, like, jump over gaps and stuff like that. But once you get the hang of it, it is so super smooth. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed the traversal and the, and the movement of that game. It looks gorgeous. What I was most surprised by, though is I can't remember the last time I played like a game, like a what we would consider like a console game on a phone. I, I played mm-hmm. Grindstone a lot when Apple Arcade launched, but I didn't really play any games on my phone. I played it on iPad. But the haptics, Holden, the haptics on the iPhone, like in the very opening of the game, like the ocean water comes in and out on the beach and you feel it going... And the haptics on your phone is it like oh, taps against cool. your hands? I was like, "What is going on? Why have I never realized my phone could do this on such a precise like it? it all it's like a um a, a hybrid of HD rumble on the Joy Cons and the haptics on the DualSense. It's obviously nowhere near as precise and, and cool and and detailed as the DualSense, but I feel like it's one step further and more precise than like the HD rumble could be. Um, and shout out to developers for using that in their games. That's really, really cool to see that like they were actually planning for that. And I'm sure they got incentives being on Apple Arcade to like include every piece of the yeah. phone that you can. Well, also, I wonder how much of it translated between PS5 and iPhone. I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. It could be way different APIs. They had to rewrite them. I don't know. But yeah, yeah it's possible. 
Uh, that being said, I won't be going back to the game because after playing about an hour and a half of it, <laughs> I realized that, man, this is very much a just like super puzzle solvey dungeon type thing that I'm not into. I have, From what I played so far, there's no combat. It's all about like, can you move this weight to this little switch over here so that it opens the door while you shoot the arrow at it? It's a lot of like Zelda dungeon type things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not here for this. So, um, <laughs> really, really well done game. And if you're into that type of thing, I highly recommend you pick it up. Again, it's free on Apple Arcade for $4.99 a month. Or it's like a bunch of money on consoles. That's it. That's all I played Play this week. Play it there. Uh, I played two other games this week. Uh, I played Snack uh, Snack Boy. Looked at Bug Snacks <laughs> while I said Sack Boy. Snack Boy. I played Sack Boy. I know that we're waiting to play the multiplayer, but I've honestly mm. been uh, unable to resist this game. I think it's really, really fantastic. You know what I, I almost cannot did? Wait. Mm-hmm. There's a part of share play, which I know that you've recently fell in love with on PS5, like being able to share your screen. You were able yeah. to share your controller on PS4 before, but it's, it's taken it one step further mm-hmm. that you can actually invite people to play multiplayer games indefinitely. Like couch co-op yeah. games, so we can play Sackboy together via share play. The only difference is like I wouldn't if if you were sharing the game with me, I wouldn't earn any progress or trophies or anything like that. It would just yeah. be playing on your account. But there's also more of a delay, I think, because of how it how the um, how it streams differently versus just doing a native online. I've heard there's a little I bit of a delay so. with it. I assume so. Yeah, but it probably wouldn't be um, any, anywhere near as like a Twitch delay with seven seconds. It'd probably be more like PlayStation it's now. Also, yeah. It's also like co-op as well. So you can't do the full four-player, right? Or can you do right, full four-player? Right, you can only share play, I think, with one other person. That's I mean, you I can share too, play your yeah. video stream to other people, but I think you can only play play mm-hmm. with yeah. one other person. But that's cool. And, and that works for all couch do the online. games. It's not like, like it used to be a, mm-hmm. for select games, you could do it for up to an hour and then you would get kicked off. But no, it's, it's just a system-wide thing now. All the games for all co-op. Yeah, it's a great addition for sure. And in, in Sackboy, there's a lot of incentive to have your friends join you. Just because the, the way the levels kind of play out is is very much sandboxy in, in some ways, where there's always little things to punch and experiment with, and sometimes levels will be like, hey, all right, here's a little like centerpiece. Now, in this direction, there's some stuff, and then to the right, there's some other stuff, and you can all kind of gather stuff together, then return back again, like finding keys and things like that. There's also just straight-up levels that you can only play multiplayer, and I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet, and I'm really excited to see what they do with, with that. It, it's, it's a ton of fun. It doesn't necessarily... In comparing it to like other 3D platformers, notably Mario being basically the only other one. Right. <laughs> um, Mario definitely has more uh, of a wide variety of moves that he can do in terms of throwing the hat, jumping on the hat, and how you can string together those combinations to go way farther if you do the long jump, then hat throw, then jump on the hat, and then jump it down. It doesn't have that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have to because where I feel like there's a lot more variety is each level just has its own thing it's doing and every level feels very unique so far I'm I'm not quite halfway through yet but every level I've done this has felt very very unique and there's just tons of collectibles everywhere I went back and spent like a good few hours just trying to find the collectibles in all the levels I've done before already I, it's it's fantastic I can't wait for you guys all to play this especially when we can all do it online together 
Yeah. It's great. It's really, really great. It's good shit. It's good shit. Good Speaking shit. of good shit, I started playing Grand Theft Auto Five. <gasps> oh my god, the boys are going to be so happy. <laughs> and let me tell you, this game is really fucking good. At the same time, it's the very definition of the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It's like the definition of that statement where like the driving's a little wonky. The shooting's not like the the, the shooting mechanics aren't like the best necessarily. There's kind of some it's not janky necessarily, but like the overall experience is way better than the individual components of it. If there's just like a shooting version of like a cover shooter of GTA five, like this is not a great cover shooter. It's just not. But it's such a fantastic open world. The writing and the characters are all so strong. I'm really surprised at how much I'm just enjoying the story of this so far. It's an absolute blast to play. Like I can't think of a time where I was playing the game and didn't want to hear every single thing the characters were saying because it's all funny. It's all completely bananas and off the walls. It's just... It's so fucking enjoyable. I, I absolutely adore this game so far. Um, and I, I can totally see now why they've released this game on three different platforms at this point. Yeah, I well, I guess it's a two-generation-old game now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I totally get it now because... I think most people, I don't know if most people are playing this for the story or not, but like the story really is just that good. It's just it's just that well done. It makes me want to go back and play Red Dead Redemption 2 again because I feel like I have a kind of a greater appreciation of their style of storytelling. It's not so much that there's this like grand overarching story that takes 30 hours to complete. It's more that they have these individual missions that work well as kind of contained stories in their own, but they add up to something kind of larger over time. And and it, most of it is just enjoying the characters and just how absolutely insane they are. But the the thing that it's kind of all right, it hits that notes for me of what I love about open world games. There's kind of two types of open open world games. There's kind of a a theater version of an open world and there's like a reactive kind of more realistic feeling open world and an example of this is like horizon zero dawn for example i think kind of fits more that theatric kind of version of it where you know you walk through a town and there's stuff going on but those people are always doing that regardless of what you do in the game it's not re the world's not reacting to you so like like there's one point in horizon where like i was in a town and i pulled a bow out and everyone just to kind of see what would happen and they all just kind of kept doing exactly what they were doing whereas in like gta 5 for example you know if you're swerving through traffic and you accidentally hit someone that driver is going to be cursing you out and, and yelling at you because of like what you did or you can just kind of walk up to people and they'll react to you based on like what you're doing in the world and it's just littered with that kind of stuff where it makes that world feel so believable like for example like in a, in a kind of a small sense there's there are movie theaters and this isn't necessarily reactive this is more of a, the, um, a theater thing but there are movie theaters and i'm like oh let me go to a movie and just kind of see what, what it's like and they have like legit 
like short films made using the game engine when you go into the theater and they're like such parodies at least the one i saw was such a parody of like an artsy uh italian foreign like film that's like art house and shit where like you can't really tell exactly what it's about but they're saying things that sound really deep if you're reading the subtitles and while this these two characters are talking here's like a completely random has nothing to do with anything like metaphorical image of a man climbing a ladder to nowhere (laughs) (laughs) and it's all kind of like making fun of those like ridiculous art house movies and i'm like i kind of want to go back to the movies again (laughs) and see what (laughs) what else they're playing because like that was it was like 10 minutes long i just sat in the theater and just watched this movie and i'm like how i wonder how long this goes for it was like 10 minutes like five ten minutes i wasn't like timing it or anything but like this is impressive, just the level of detail that's in the world. Going back to the whole like, reactive element, the talk radio is fucking hysterical. It's so funny. Because, first of all, it's just over the top. Like, everything in the game, it's really over the top. But you'll be driving to a new mission, and you'll actually hear them on talk radio talking about the mission that you just did. But because they weren't actually there, and it's the news, it's like they're getting all the details wrong. They're like, they're not like you know enough to know they're talking about what you just did but they don't know what they're talking about but they have it's just it's it's amazing it's fantastic the other great thing about the game and this is just for this is just something that i think will speak uh, more to me is um they have different radio stations for different types of music and they have an underground house radio station which is actually oh, really good oh man oh man so just <laughs> so like I'll be driving around to new mission and I'm like really enjoying this track and I'm like you know I'm just gonna stay parked outside of where the mission is and just finish the song because <laughs> I'm really enjoying the song um shut up Siri Siri was talking to me um she must have heard what I said and I triggered her somehow but uh, the game's <laughs> amazing triggered. it's absolutely fantastic I cannot wait to see what they do with next generation hardware at this point yeah because this game doesn't even really feel last gen to me it still feels well, like last gen, a last, modern last game gen. exactly Which is impressive exactly and i know they updated the graphics when they went from ps3 to ps4 so i'm I'm, st- I'm still technically playing the ps4 version of the game because the ps5 version comes out next year but it doesn't feel like an old game by any means which is again impressive because it's like you said last last gen so Grand Theft Auto Five, really good so far. Can't wait to keep playing that. Well, when does it when does it come out? <clears throat> when is this this game that you're talking about? Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. So people can yeah. get their hands on GTA Five on in twenty twenty one. GTA Five. Oh, yeah, that's. Fantastic. I thought it was a V, but it's definitely a Five. I think they mean Five. Yeah. I think they they accidentally put a picture. It's Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Moving on to the quest log. Quest we got some stories here. We got some stories from... Actually, we have one story from, from Sony this week. And this comes from Liana Rupert at Game Informer. Scalper Group brags about being three... Th- about... Um, being? About being? Yeah. I must have met, met some type something else. 3,500 PS5 systems to sell at egregious prices. But ha- buying. Probably, probably 3,500. Oh, buying. There we go. Yeah. Buying 3,500 PS5 systems to sell at egregious prices. So this is a organization in, or say it's a, uh, a group in the UK called uh, Crep Chief Notify. It's 12 people in size, not very big, but they managed to get 1,000 consoles at the pre-order point 
So when it, consoles first went up for pre-order, and then 2,500 consoles after launch. Now, they do this because they actually have inside sources at different retailers who notify them when the pre-orders are going to launch or when uh, a, a um, when they're kind of trickling out new PS5 people to buy. Like They get notified of the timing of all that. So it's not just even bots. It's also having inside sources and knowing when to kind of release the Kraken, if you will. Fuck all they those don't people. just scalp game consoles either. They just they do this with kind of anything that's a hot item. So I guess they noticed that hot tubs were selling out a lot because of COVID for some reason. My so they just started scalping one. hot tubs. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that interested me about this is that, that basically it's a subscription service. Anyone can join this if they want to. You pay a certain fee per month to get access to certain information. So the more you spend per month, you, the kind of more popular um, items you'll get access to. So it starts at four, um, $40 a month, and I think there was one that was like $540 a month. So like if you want a PlayStation 5, I'm assuming you'd have to be in like the $540, $540 version. Yeah. But no one should be a part of this because it's a terrible, terrible it's thing awful. that's happening. You are the reason the world sucks, scalpers. That's, <laughs> no, that's like... That's a thousand people who didn't get a pre-order. That's a thirty-five hundred people in total in the UK who didn't get a console when they wanted one, and that's just from one group. Mm-hmm. That's just from one yeah. group. That's why. Why are people the way that they are? Yeah, it, it's. I don't know. Like, it, it just seems like a really scummy thing to do. Like, if you yeah. bought a few consoles and you sell them to your friends at cost, like not to make money, but just to make sure your friends have it, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But the whole like charging many times the the rate for it is is crazy. I do want to point out that this isn't exactly as widespread as it gets reported. Like there are estimates that there have been about two million PlayStation Five sold so far, and the other estimates is that there are twenty five thousand um, scalped PS Five sold each week since launch. So like that's definitely a lot of people who didn't get access to it, and that sucks and it's horrible. But I think it's important to keep in mind that. If you're not getting a console because it's tough to get one, it's more just because there's a high demand. And there's a high demand. And they haven't figured out their fucking website. Well, yeah. Uh, Did you also see in the UK that, like, it's a legit problem that Amazon's trying to address? A a lot of people are getting cat food Mm -hmm. delivered instead of their PS5 or, like, cereal and shit like that. Like, they order a PS5, it says it's, it's coming, and then it gets delivered and they open up the box. And it's not like... One of those schemes where, like, you open up your iPhone box and in the box there's a brick. No, it's like Mm -hmm. they literally just get a package of cat food instead. (laughs) And Amazon's like, we don't know what happened, but it's happening on a scale that I think is like hundreds or thousands. If they're stealing and replacing it, it has to be like on the at at the Amazon warehouse level, like somebody on the inside. Yeah, because I mean everything's still packaged in the regular thing, and they have to. Mm have the Amazon items like the the cat food and shit like that to put in there mm-hmm. I, I don't know it's crazy yeah it's absolutely nuts and I think it just it goes to show just how insanely popular these systems are and how unfortunate it is for Microsoft that I'm basically only hearing stories of this happening with PlayStation 5 yeah. <laughs> I don't hear many stories I may still hear the stories but not nearly to the volume I hear about PlayStation 5 I think it's just a, just a zeitgeist thing. Like, PlayStation 5 is very much the hot item that everyone's talking about. The dual mm-hmm. sense, Miles Morales, everyone wants to play it. And as soon as Halo comes out yeah. or a big game on Xbox comes out, we're going to see the same thing because it's also in high demand. But we just 
yeah. don't see a lot of scalpers because there's not a mm-hmm. not a lot of fervor around it. I think that there's been a lot of talk of like what can be done about this, and I think that the main thing is, and Phil Spencer talked about this in an interview he had with The Verge, but I, the main thing is making sure pre-orders is a smoother process. Why can't these companies just do it the way Apple does it, where you if you miss the window for launch, you at least know... The, first of all, the pre-order is still up, and you can still buy it. And then you at least know, like, okay, I'm going to get mine three weeks late, or a month late. Like, right now, HomePod minis, I think, are, like, out to January. Yeah. Now. But you know you're going to get one at least. And there's a peace of mind in that, as opposed to this anxiety of... Like, well, fuck, all right, I got to make sure I'm on Best Buy's website at whatever time they decide to launch these things, and if I'm even around at that point, and it just makes this process way more anxious, and I feel like they need to weigh out, like, creating hype and not just infuriating people. Yep. It's very frustrating. We are really lucky. I wonder if they would, if they did open up those pre-orders like that. And they just kept them open indefinitely. Whether they would just be hit like, oh, now the, the scalpers are going to buy like hundreds of thousands of systems. Now there's just like the floodgates are open. That's a really open. good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but I bet it would totally be a possible. lot easier to track that kind of stuff if you could sell. Like mm-hmm. if, if you realize, oh, within a week since we had that button activated, uh, the same person has ordered X amount of systems. Like there are only so many addresses someone could get something delivered to. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely hard to get like the three thousand five hundred that twelve people managed to get. That was really hard to pull off. That's not a. That's probably an outlier situation. I also think in the case like an iPhone, I was just thinking like, well, why doesn't it happen with iPhones? Like, well, iPhones release every year, and it's not quite the same thing as a PlayStation Five coming out every seven or a new PlayStation coming out every seven years. It's just a different type of hype behind it. PlayStation does the edging yeah. model where they just build up <laughs> to seven years and then it's one big frantic release. <laughs> We'll talk about Apple in a second here. I need to take a break for a moment. You gonna make a pee pee? I need to go see what, what's the phrase I heard in. I think in Kangaroo Jack. I need to go see a man about a wallaby or something like that. It's a line from Kangaroo Jack that I remember from a kid. That's what I gotta do. I gotta go see a man about a wallaby. Jack. <laughs> All right, should we? we is it long enough in... that we should go to a hold screen or like? Is it just like a yeah, quick I'm pee just... that I can? I'll be right back. So if you want to just chew the shit for a second, you can do that. We're too. gonna go to a hold screen. Holding. All right. You can still hear me on this whole screen. Ha la 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 la. And we're back. We're back. The man did not have the wallaby, but I am satisfied nonetheless. That's because you were not in Australia. And the app. I was <laughs> not in Australia. Um, th- moving on to third-party quest log, starting off with Apple and App Store fees. So Apple is to cut the App Store share to 15% for small developers, says Marie Delessandri at GameIndustry.biz. So Apple's basically starting a new small business program, App Store small business program, that's starting very soon, January 1st, 2021. To be eligible... A company must have made less than $1 million in the previous year from all the company's apps on the App Store. But if they're a new company in the App Store, they can get qualified immediately. Once they reach $1 million sales in a year, then they'll, get, um, they'll start um, getting charged 30% to be on the App Store. This is a pretty big change. I would be, coming to my personal opinion this, I'd be surprised if the Epic lawsuit had nothing to do with this. I think it probably <laughs> did. No, it definitely did. 
Um, but it's. I think this is a really good move. I think it's an excellent for, move. And I, th- I think it's accessible yeah. to developers. It helps them to build up their teams. I saw some reactions of of developers being like, this now makes me, like, I don't have to stay up at night wondering whether or not I can hire another person or whether or not I'd be mm-hmm. able to actually, like, feed my family. Like, I can make some of these decisions. This is going to, they said, because we get an extra 15% of the store cut that our revenue is actually going up by nearly 40%, which is awesome to hear. Like, this is going to be really yeah. good. It's going to drive a lot of innovation from a lot of small developers. And this also, uh, I, I can't remember where I read this, but apparently it affects like 99% of App Store developers qualify for this. And it's mm-hmm. really only the top 1%, yeah. those one percenters from Occupy Wall Street. Um, that uh, are, are I don't think the one percenters were in Occupy Wall Street, but it definitely was a discussion around <laughs> right, Occupy where, Wall Street. That's where the one percent term was coined. Yeah. Um, it was a uh, Warren Buffett going out with his V for Vendetta Guy Fox mask. That's right. That's to boycott right. himself. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's really great, and then it is also a little bit of a subtle like, oh no, you know what, Epic Games, we will take a lower cut, but not for you, for everyone basically, but you. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how Tim Sweeney's now saying, well, our thing was never really about the percentage of the cut. I'm like, no, it literally is kind of what started it, though. Like, that was one of the main things you were boycotting about them. Um, It's the whole individual apps in the app store is still a component of this. Being Um, able to use their own payment processing uh, system is is still part of it, but yeah. 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 It's it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, it, it's it's a move. I think I think Steam did this as well, where Steam has something kind of not exactly those same exact numbers, but it's yeah based the, on how much you sell. Right, there's this it's kind cut. of the reverse. Like I believe it's once you've sold a certain amount, you start getting more of That's the money right. back. So yeah. it's actually rewarding right. right. bigger game developers because they sell more, and then the more mm-hmm. they sell, the bigger the cut they get after they sell that much. Yeah. That's actually kind of shitty now that I think about it. Yeah. It's kind of crummy. This is a much better model. I concur, well, Phil Spencer didn't. Phil Spencer didn't necessarily comment specifically on that new App Store small business program, but he did have some things to say about the 30% fee. So quote here, or article here from Zarmenic Khan at PlayStation Lifestyle, Phil Spencer explains why Apple's 30% um, fee isn't comparable to Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo store fees. The full quote from Phil Spencer. If you just look at scale, there are a billion mobile phones on the planet. Those are general um, compute platforms. A game console does one thing, really. It plays video games. Sports. It's sold for us. (laughs) Sports. Sports. It's sold for us at a loss. Then you make money back by selling content and services on top. The model is just very, very different from something that the scale of Windows or iOS or Android. I think there are 200 million game consoles that are sold in a generation across all of our platforms. That's less than a year of phone sales. It's just not even close. People say, well, the scale shouldn't matter. It actually does. When you start looking at how we look at open platforms and access, those things do matter. From a legal perspective, they matter. So what do you think about this quote from Phil Spencer of Microsoft? Mm, I feel like you and I, at least, whether it was on the podcast or not, you and I have had this discussion before because I remember saying, like, no, it does, it is the same thing. They just choose to sell their Mm -hmm. product at a higher price and you chose to sell it at a loss. It doesn't mean that it doesn't (laughs) function the same way. It's not their fault that that you chose to lose money on something. (laughs) 
they sell at a loss temporarily while they figure out manufacturing and component costs go down. And then, like with PlayStation Four, for example, with I think within six months of launch, it was already profitable on a per unit basis. And same thing with the Xbox One, and I'm assuming it's going to be the same thing with the Series X and the PS5. There'll be a time window where they start becoming profitable. Nintendo never takes a loss in their units. They just don't ever do that. That's not part of their business model. So yeah, I agree. Like, it's a strange thing. But also, like, the whole idea of, like, well, the scale shouldn't matter. Okay, but the scale is actually how monopolies take advantage of markets and using their scale to go to prices that other competitors can't. So when you're talking about monopolies and wanting to stop monopolies, a monopoly shouldn't be, or a company who is a monopoly shouldn't be using their scale to make things cheaper, necessarily, in an, in an anti-competitive manner, because then that hurts the market overall so i i feel like this is a really odd answer from phil spencer even further than that he says it's the model is just very different very different from something the scale of windows or ios or android well windows charges 30 percent if you buy from the windows app store yeah so it's fine there apparently the company that phil spencer works for like it just there's so much about this that doesn't actually make sense when you break it down especially when he says there are 200 million game consoles out there yes he's right there are 200 million game consoles out there but phil spencer's big mission right now is to have xcloud to tap into the 2 billion gamers worldwide who play on mobile and are they going to take less than a 30 percent cut when they start selling games through xcloud to those 2 billion um, potential people that's a good point probably not (laughs) so it just i don't know i don't think this holds up and i think this is not a statement that's going to age necessarily well when xCloud and cloud services eventually scale up to a much larger audience. Yeah. Depending on how that happens. Weird so, words, Phil. Yeah, I don't know. Weird words. Weird words. It's kind of been like, I like Phil Spencer. I'm not going to say, I don't want to say anything bad about Phil Spencer, but I kind of feel like that's been his shtick the past year is, let me say something that sounds really, really great. But when you break down what I'm actually saying six months later you realize that it doesn't actually work out quite as well as it seemed like smart delivery like we had this great awesome pitch about it and then like six months down the line it's like okay well here's some additional caveats we need to you know put out there and yeah it's it's you know he's an executive at a major corporation it's gonna happen (laughs) it's just that's just what happens um moving on to the most positive story of the entire week Oxford University study suggests playing games is good for mental health. This is from Jordan Oleman at IGN. What's notable about the study is that, it, and this really blew me away, notably the study used actual gameplay time to measure results, whereas previous studies on, um, on games relied on reported hours played from surveys, which is not reliable. So that, that was really interesting. They're basing that off of like actual experience you know, gameplay that they can legitimately track. But a caveat to this is that only Animal Crossing New Horizons and Plants vs. Zombies bladder, um, Battle for Neighborville were tested. Lead researcher um, Andrew, is it Brablitsky? said he's very confident that if research goes on, we will learn about the things that we think of as toxic in games. So, like, if they start testing this, and they might find that Grand Theft Auto does not make you happier, or Doom Eternal <laughs> does not make you happier. Um, so Animal Crossing, obviously, extremely positive, happy game. But <laughs> another amazing part of this, given the current data they have, four hours of Animal Crossing per day makes you a, quote, much happier human being. I this, think this is good is, news. There are some caveats to it. But yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I think this is like the definition of when, you know, like when cigarette companies like 
pay for research that says cigarettes are good for you. <laughs> and it's like yeah. Holden funded this survey, this research. I did fund this just survey. so that they could yeah. come in say here Animal and Crossing say makes you a better person. Four hours of Animal Crossing <laughs> makes you a happier person. Uh, no, this is. I mean, obviously, this is no news to us as gamers. Like we know that playing games makes you yeah. happy and it can have an effect on your mental health. And I honestly attribute that to what's kept me a sane, successful person over the last year is being able to play video games, especially with friends. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really cool that they are that we are investing in good research in like really well <laughs> executed research. It's not just like. How many games did you play this week? Do you feel good? Yeah. All right. Nope. Bad correlation. Whenever they say, they're like, how many hours do you think you played? I'm like, I don't know. My PlayStation, well, now it does. But before my PlayStation <laughs> wouldn't even tell me how many hours I played per game, how would I, do I time myself well, every week? Now just no. looking at that number will probably make you depressed. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh god! Like I was like 190 hours in Sekiro. I'm like, that happened just this year. <laughs> so like, holy shit. <laughs> Oh my god, speaking of um, 190 hours in a game, the do you see the the, the play tester, the QA tester on Cyberpunk yeah. 2077 that says I've been playing for 175 hours and I haven't beat the game yet? Yep. That's so, yeah, that instant was instant turn nuts. off to me. <laughs> like seeing so, that. That's the, the kind of thing where the like, caveat... you see a really hot girl and then she lights up a cigarette and you're like, well, I literally have zero interest in you anymore. <laughs> it really does make a huge difference. Yeah. Here's the caveat with that is he was testing a stealth only playthrough and he um so he was probably waiting around a lot for certain things to happen so he kind of probably inflated things but he was and saying he wasn't going for a completionist run he wasn't even yeah. like trying to do every single side mission so again, but he's also a long, QA tester I'm so he's also probably it. doing things like can I break this wall can I do this even though I'm not supposed to be able to so he's probably testing those kind of things too at the same time yeah but either way like that's a lot of gameplay time I don't like it I don't like oh, it at I can't all wait. I can't Immediate, wait like, I can't wait any interest I had in playing that game is now just like nope <laughs> I'm done. It's a Persona 5 Royal. It's a it's a Witcher 3. It's a, nope, that game's too big, too many hours. I don't <laughs> want to even start it. And this is an example of if they do more testing, they might find that Cyberpunk does not make Chad happier. That's so true. not all games could <laughs> impact your mental health in a positive way. Way to bring um, you back. <laughs> yeah, I, I really can't wait uh, to see what more research they pull up from this. Um, just because, obviously, they tested... Plants vs. Zombies, which is not necessarily a game that it's not like a Last of Us Part Two, where it's like, oh god, I just finished Plants vs. Zombies and I'm emotionally wrecked right now. Like <laughs> that fucking I can't sunflower wait to see was how just this... plucked right out of its bed. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of my mother. It was tragic. It was horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's really cool to see this happening. It's good. Sh- it's good stuff. It's also just good to know that Animal Crossing does make you happier. It just does. The study. Completely confirms it. Completely confirms it. Speaking of completely confirmed, hashtag <laughs> not completely confirmed, Ugh. fetch quests, Bethesda games will be, quote, first or better, no only on Xbox, says Kyle Orland uh, at Ars Technica. Um, this is just another executive at Microsoft. Uh, this, in this case, Tim Stewart, the CFO at my, um, Xbox at Microsoft. 
just saying that he suspects that his idea is that it'll be first or better. I'm putting this in the fetch quest because I don't. I, we've talked about this to death. Yeah, we've talked about this every week. It feels like a new executive comes out and says something. I think it's at a point where like it seems likely they're really trying to not take it away from other consoles. But like, it's just tell us when you know for sure. Right. Wait till exactly. the deal's complete. Get everyone on the same page, or don't let anyone talk about it. Yeah, because <laughs> what happens if like Phil Spencer does? turn around which well, i'll be surprised if he made the decision himself but like turns around says actually we're cutting playstation off and they've set all these people up for it could happen it could happen like it's going to be a disappointment <laughs> so i just stop talking stop talking but they're not going to stop talking about halo infinite because there's a high level update coming soon but not at the game awards the update will be coming within the next few weeks so shortly after the game awards we should see something new for Halo Infinite. I, Based on what they said in the article, I don't think it's going to be like a game demo or something like that because they specifically said that's why they're not going to be at the Game Awards because they don't want to show off this demo that's very hard and takes away from development time on the game, which obviously they're a little behind on right now. So that development time is very precious at the moment, but maybe we'll see some of the story. Who knows? Um but they will say 343 will be more communicative about Halo Infinite going forward. And that uh, is another article from Otto um, Kratke at Dual Shockers. So 2021 will be an interesting year. Yeah. IO Interactive's new game, this is the guys who make Hitman, is a, a 007 James Bond origins story. What a perfect studio for so 007. Bumped. Yeah, I'm so pumped for that. Yeah, it's the perfect studio. It's so perfect. Do you know how many times I've played Hitman and been like, man, I'm a spy breaking into this place. <laughs> like, kind of, And now I'm like, I could just be James Bond? Can't wait for that. They're going to have to tailor the action, though, because it's Hitman is a pretty slow-paced game. It's not uh, that's like super action-packed experience. Generally, you don't want to play it that way. So I'm curious how they tailor the Hitman formula to kind of meet that kind of more action-oriented approach that I... I feel like a james bond game would would warrant but i yeah still perfect studio to, to to do that do they have the ability to do it with sexy ladies in in um hitman right now or do they have to add that they have to build that doing it <laughs> engine in 007 they have to build the the doing it engine absolutely they're going to do the decima engine but the doing it engine much better suited <laughs> for james bond games Rockstar is to launch Red Dead Online, a standalone game, on December 1st, says Brianna Reeves at PlayStation Lifestyle. I'm surprised, actually, by that. I'm, I don't know. Didn't think that would happen. I don't think I'm surprised. I think they, it's, I think they're not seeing as much traction as, obviously, GTA Online is getting, and they're wanting mm-hmm. to bring more people to it. And because GTA Online makes a trillion times more money than GTA 5 does, they're hoping that by letting people get Red Dead Online for five bucks instead of having to pay the full price of the game, that it will end up making them a lot more money in return. So just getting it in more people's hands, having more people discover it without having to plunge the entire amount of money for the whole game. It makes sense to me. True that. True that. So I'm going to play lots of money. <laughs> Speaking of lots of money, Epic adding subscription service to Fortnite next week, according to Cal- Alex Calvin at PC Games Insider. Subscribers will, will blah. Subscribers will receive <laughs> subscribers. I'm so tired, I can barely speak right now. I feel like I've been like in- intelligible or in whatever, you know, un- not understandable. Most of this episode, incomprehensible. 
incomprehensible much better yeah uh, the subscribers will receive a battle pass a thousand uh, v bucks and an outfit bundle each week that's going to cost 11.99 um i mean the v bucks 11.99 a week a month okay uh which seems Ooh. like not too bad of a deal considering i'm pretty sure v bucks before the whole apple epic thing occurred was like 10 bucks to buy the app store they brought it down to eight i believe so it's like three, it's like four bucks more, but you're getting the battle pass. You're getting the outfit bundle that, yeah, and not for me, but I can see that being appealing to some people who are hardcore Fortnite fans. Hardcore parkour. Um, hardcore parkour. Marvel's Avengers struggles to gain ground, is yet to recover development costs, as Chris Moyes at Destructoid. This is something we had talked about last, like, few weeks ago, but it was just a analyst saying that it was looking like they're going to make money but in this case Square Enix has said that they lost 67 million in their most recent quarter and they cited um, Mar- Marvel's Avengers as being the one of the reasons for that how much fucking money did they um, spend on that game because it was the best selling game of September it's selling a lot a lot of people paid money for that game and it's there's still 67 million dollars in the hole I think it said this is like the they spent so much money in marketing they haven't been able to make up the the cost because of all that marketing didn't spend. Really, I mean, th- there was nothing about that game other than a couple of war tables and a really bad reveal event. It <laughs> blows my mind. It's still a good game. Yeah, I'm curious the future of that game because it the the user base, at least on Steam, has absolutely plummeted. Where there's like less than a thousand players. Yeah, peak. I mean, day, if, if you play is... the game, you understand why it's why it's plummeted. Just because mm-hmm. you're done with it for now, but yeah, with the new yeah. um, the Hawkeye's daughter, I can't remember her name. With with her coming next week on the eighth, and then Hawkeye coming mm-hmm. in and Spider Man coming in, like they're people are gonna jump back into it. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, it's gonna be fine. The next Metro game is in production, Woo. and Metro Exodus is getting a free upgrade on consoles. Says Jordan Devore at Destructoid. Uh, the new game will. Yeah, the new game, the next game in the series, will be completely overhaul their game engine, which is warranted. They've never been the most technically advanced series or get the best graphical fidelity, but maybe the new owners, they can kind of reach new peaks there. But there's also a multiplayer game in the works, and they're basically promising it's not going to be a trend chaser game. It's not going to be like a blatant battle royale, like Fortnite-style game. It's it's going to be something that feels a part of the Metro universe still. So I'm very curious what, what happens there. I like that game a lot. And then finally for the week, PlayStation Plus offers Just Cause 4 and more, which is Rocket League and um, Worms uh, Rumble. Rocket Arena. And that's according to... Rocket Arena. What did I say? You said Rocket League. Oh, did I say Rocket League? Okay. Yeah, that, that, well, that was on PlayStation Plus before. It was. So if you have PlayStation Plus, Many you probably have Rocket ago. <laughs> Many Januarys ago. Um, all that is from Michael McWhorter at Polygon. That's that's all the news for the week, Chad. You know, I'm kind of I'm I'm gonna dip my little pinky toe into Just Cause Four when it comes out. Because I remember when that game you have came Just Cause out, Three. We well, we already have Just Cause Three because of PlayStation Plus. But when Just Cause Actually, Four, I see if you played it yet. Oh no, I have not played it. But you know the the trailers for Just Cause Four. I remember us saying after we watched the whatever event it was, like you know what though, that game kind of looks fun as hell. So maybe I'll dip my toe in that. It's free. Why not? Why not? Chad, what's our game on game show that this week? That the game on game show. The game on our gaming show. We play a game called Game On. The game show on our gaming show called Game, 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 Game. Holden, 
we've got another now flesh it out now flesh it out now flesh it out this is a game where we take two games that are different and we figure out if they had a baby or we mashed them together or both if we mashed them together on top of their baby what would that game look like um hold on i decided the theme for this week because this is our first one since the console's launch question mark mm-hmm. no this is our second one technically that we are going yeah. to do a uh, a mashup of launch games. So we're taking PS5 Ooh. launch games and mashing them up with Xbox launch games. And I know what you're saying. What Xbox launch games? Well, Holden, <laughs> I've chosen games that have been marketed for the Series X. So <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily games that launched at the Series X launch. So Holden, we're going to start by mashing up Astro's Playroom... With Gears 5. <laughs> what does that game look like? God. Let's flesh that out. First of all, just Gears 5 with dual sense control or haptic uh, feedback. You can feel the locust stuff. head being cut in half by your chainsaw. Oh, that does feel good. Yeah, just that alone would be really, really sick. But how I guess how would Astrobot the character fit into the world of Gears of War. I don't play much Gears of War. You've had more experience with that. What do you think? Uh, would you just so be playing? A, like, would Marcus... There is a little ahead. robot drone that follows around called Jack that you use to like open up doors and hack computers and stuff like that. Like You could have Astro in there. Boom. And there we technically go. Technically, you can play as Jack in the Gears 5. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the best use of Astro. I think, I think having... I think if we had a Gears 5 game, here's what I want. I want the Xbox equivalent of, like, collect all these collectibles and shit like that while also maybe going around mm-hmm. and cutting everything open with a chainsaw. Um, and maybe we just <laughs> no play shooting, as a little... just a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we just play as, as uh, not maybe a robot, but just, like, a bicep. Just, like, a giant bicep that's, that has a chainsaw on it and it just goes, <laughs> Dom! Because that's that's my and impression it all takes of Marcus place Phoenix inside of an Xbox Series X console. Yeah, there you go, there you go, nailed it. Boom. And here's the thing: the locusts are all like, you know how cockroaches like to crawl inside of game consoles and and basically mm-hmm. just go in there to die. It's the locust horde, <laughs> and they're all in there, and that's what causes the Xbox Series X to steam and overheat, not vape smoke. Boom. <laughs> there we go. We nailed it. We fleshed it out. Very we good. Figured, we figured it out. Next up is Spider-Man Miles Morales. Cross with Ori and Will of the Wisps. Ori and Will of the Wisps was marketed as like 120 frames per second. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. I feel like a side-scrolling 2D Spider-Man game would be incredibly lame. <laughs> Dude, those were some of the best. Spider-Man and the Sinister Six on Game Gear. Spider-Man on Game Boy Advance, where Mysterio was the big villain. That was dope. Those are some of the best from ones. Spider-Man. It's like, hey, you played Spider-Man on PlayStation 4. We're bringing, we're remastering that, bringing it to PlayStation 5, and here's a new Spider-Man game. It's called Miles Morales. It's a side-scrolling <laughs> But it's hand-painted. Would... <gasps> it could be Spider-Verse spy- like style, like Into the Spider-Verse as a 2D. That would be cool. Yeah. I'm into that. That would be pretty dope. I'm in- you know what? I do want that. Fuck you, Holden. I do want that. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is a weird thing because I don't know much about Ori at all. All I know is that in the trailer, there's one part where there's like a big monster in the background. Mm. How cool would it be 
you just took that giant monster and had him just wreck New York City, and you're just Spider-Man, like, swinging around trying to stop the big monster of the city, destroying all the buildings. Be dope. It has really nothing to do with Ori. It could be Godzilla for all I care. That would yep. just be really... That'd be or cool. Bowser. Be cool. But I literally know nothing about Ori at all. <laughs> I have no idea about the mechanics, how it works, nothing. You should. You are a coward. I think, who was it? Was it Darby from Nerds at Large called you a coward on Twitter? You should play it. Play Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Yeah. Was it because of Ori, though? There's some so. game I hadn't played you called me a coward for. I know that. I think so. I think I was talking about Ori on the show. And I was so shaken with fear that I can't remember what the game it was. So was it Ori? It might have been Ori. It probably was Ori. Probably. Oh, yeah. Because I was talking about it and uh, Guacamelee as some of the best platformers. Yeah. Um, Next up, we Mm -hmm. are mashing up Demon's Souls and Dirt 5. (laughs) I had to dig deep to find some Xbox games, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I just want... a, it's it's just a pure racing game, right? Okay. Except you can also take giant maces out of your car and hit, bash the other cars as you're driving past them. <laughs> to, like, absolutely wreck them. So it's like a Twisted Metal great. Mario Kart type thing. Actually, yeah, exactly. that's, it's kind of the combat from uh, Mad Max. The video game Mad Max. Ooh, is that what it's like? Yeah. Well, mm. there's, it's not necessarily like you pulling something out and bashing them, but like you have spikes on your wheels yeah. and you have a chain that you can shoot out of the front of it and pull the cars and shit like that. But, mm-hmm. That'd be dope. That would be dope. That would be dope. That'd be very dope. And I want some... <laughs> you, also, you have a stamina meter, so you can only push on the gas pedal for a certain amount of time before your stamina runs out. And you got to <laughs> relieve your awful. ankle of that mild stretch to push down the gas pedal. <laughs> that sounds That's what it is. <laughs> Finally, our last mashup for Now Flesh It Out is Bug Snacks crossed with Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> So you don't assassinate your targets. You have to find a way to capture them using the contraptions in Bug Snacks. And then once you get them, you eat them. No, here's what here's what you do. It's it's very close to that. So yes, it is a stealth type game where you have to catch them in like bear traps and nets and shit like that. And then you have to find whoever like the real big baddie is. Like of uh, that you're hunting or whatever and you have to feed their army to them <laughs> it's like oh man here's your pu- we've captured you now here's your punishment you have to eat every single one of your generals and you have to eat your wife and you have to eat that you just have to feed them non-stop and they just become this one giant globular mess like in resident evil 2 or resident evil 3 remake no mm-hmm yes no, it's in another or game inside. that I now don't want to name because it's a spoiler for a part of that game. Um, but yeah, a giant mass so of I, bodies. I didn't mention. I didn't mention that game. I didn't mention that game at all. Don't worry. Like in inside, <laughs> like an inside. That's what it is. And they become that just, big giant gluttonous. That, I didn't thing. want to spoil it. And you spoiled oh, it. Oh, sorry. That's not the game I was thinking of. I'm glad you didn't say the other game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but inside. I mean, it's short. I'm just fucking play inside. Anyway. It sounds great. Uh, but the sum of this whole cannibalism thing is I knew Bug Snacks was about cannibalism. It was about cannibalism the entire time. As <laughs> That's right. You did predict that. <laughs> As evidenced by our mashup. Uh, great. That's it. That's all the now flesh outs we have. That's the end of Game on Game Show. And that is the end of the episode for this week. Reminder time. Our barf games for this two months, November and December, is Demon Souls and Godfall. 
you voted and told us mm -hmm. those are the two games you want us to kind of double down on and play and give you some in-depth reviews. So again, coming probably mid-December is our Demon Souls, and early January is our review on Spoiler Chat on uh, Godfall. We also have a Patreon.com slash Respawning Fire where you can go to get dope wallpapers, which are coming out this week when I work on them, when I make them. You also get uh, the ability to influence what we play and play along with us every single week. Um, reminder, Game Awards is next week. We're going to be having some predictions around that, and we might have a viewing party for our patrons. Somehow, stay tuned. We'll figure it out. Um, dope. I think that's everything we need to say to the people. you have anything else you'd like to that's say, Holden? everything. Shout out to, to Dallas Smith. You at Smitty Games on Twitter. He's providing the backgrounds. I know you can't see them too well right now because of the way that we have our thing formatted, but I'm going to reformat it for next time so we're small and you can see more of the pictures. Uh, he provides all of our screenshots for our backgrounds. Dude is dope. Okay, that's it. Now for our usual sign-off. You thought I had something, didn't you?